P&L is brought to you by Proper Cloth, a leader in men's custom shirts. With proprietary smart size technology and top-rated customer service, ordering a custom shirt has never been easier. Visit propercloth.com to order your first custom shirt today. Welcome to the Bloomberg PL Podcast. I'm Pim Fox, along with my co-host, Lisa Abramowitz. Each day, we bring you the most important, noteworthy, and useful interviews for you and your money, whether you're at the grocery store or the trading floor. Find the Bloomberg PL Podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and at Bloomberg.com. We heard from President Trump just shortly ago. We heard that he reiterated his plan to roll back Obamacare. But what is less clear is exactly how Republicans plan to do this. But with some sense of clarity uh, is Zach Tracer, a healthcare reporter for Bloomberg, who wrote a really uh, compelling piece today on the Bloomberg. Uh, Zach, so this story talks about some of the details that we are learning. Can you outline what those are? Sure, and I think the the thing to keep in mind here is that we we haven't seen a bill. We we don't know what uh, you know Republicans in um, the House are, are going to try to get passed. But what we are hearing is that you know first off, um, likely it will get rid of the requirement in Obamacare uh, that everybody have health insurance. Um, it might make some changes to the subsidies, and sort of the, the net result of all this is that fewer people are are going to have health insurance at the end of the day. We keep hearing about the three legs of the stool of the Affordable Care Act. Can you pull one of them away and still have the stool be useful? That's right. So one one of the big problems here will be that by ending the individual mandate, the requirement that people buy health insurance, uh, it'll be really tough to, to keep healthy people in the market potentially. And that's one of the things uh, that the Republican plans are, are trying to grapple with is how do you get sort of young, healthy people to buy health insurance um, in the absence of a law requiring them requiring them to do so. And and that's something, uh, you know, that, that Obamacare has struggled with, too. So I think, um, you know, if, if folks can come out of this with a, a better option, a better plan, um, that may be an improvement. How exactly are these details about a potential replacement coming out? You know, we've been talking with lawmakers and, and um, you know, these, these lawmakers are confronting constituents. And so they're trying to come up with ways of explaining here is what Republicans want in an Obamacare replacement. And, Wait, and just when you say confronting constituents, you're talking about, in part, the town hall meetings that have gotten re- rather heated, right, around the around the country. That's right. So, uh, you know, Congress is out this week, so lawmakers are, are back in their districts uh, talking to the folks who, who voted for them or who didn't. And they're trying to say, here is what Republicans want to do with Obamacare. And it's not easy uh, because they don't have, you know, one specific bill. And so they're, they're sort of trying to outline these principles. And one of the things that we've discovered from interviewing them is that, you know, it's very difficult to talk about this idea that fewer people are going to have health insurance. Does the uh, does the nomination process of Dr. Tom Price uh, for the head of Health and Human Services uh, does that in any way uh, affect uh, what may or may not happen with uh, the ACA? So Dr. Price, um, who's now the the head of the Department of Health and Human Services, um, will probably play some role in crafting this uh, this replacement. It's not clear yet uh, just what that will be. Um, he he said he's going to leave it up to Congress at least initially, but I do think the the administration will play a role. At some point, um, you know, one, one thing he talked about a lot and that comes up here is the importance of uh, what they're calling access to health insurance. So Republicans are going to give folks some sort of tax credit that will help them buy health insurance and say, look, everybody has access. It's up to you whether or not you buy health insurance. 
I have to wonder going forward, uh, at what point do they have to come up with a replacement? Is there a sort of deadline? I think that the, the insurance companies that are selling uh, health insurance in Obamacare really, really need certainty. Uh, they are going to be deciding on their, their plans for 2018 uh, in the next few months, really um, by May. And this is what, Aetna, Anthem, Centene, Health Net, WellCare, I mean, all of them, Molina, Humana, United Health. That's right. And and already we've seen, uh, you know, Humana and United Health um, pretty much quit. Aetna's pulled back. Um, and, uh, you know, Molina has said, for instance, that they need certainty or they may pull back. Anthem has said something similar. So the health insurers are warning, look, if we don't get certainty, we are not going to sell these health insurance plans. Have they pulled back because of uncertainty or because it wasn't profitable for them? Uh, more because it wasn't profitable for them. Um, the the idea is, you know, the, if you can't make money, and this gets back to what we were talking about with, you know, getting enough healthy people into the system, uh, if you can't make money on this, well, why would you, uh, you know, play in this market? What about drug pricing? Uh, the issue of whether uh, Medicare can actually negotiate, whether the government can negotiate drug prices has long been a, a point of debate. Uh, is there any uh, anything you can tell us about that? Yeah, it's definitely a, a point of debate and something that, that will continue to be debated. Uh, Seema Verma, who's the, the nominee to head the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, uh, was asked about this at her confirmation hearing. Right. And, and she said, you know, I think the, the current system wor uh, works pretty well. There's a lot of people that would disagree with her. And so I think that it's going to continue to be a debate. What would health insurers would like to see with respect to changes made to ACA? I think one thing that health insurers uh, really have said um, overall is they, there needs to be a way to get more uh, young and healthy people into the insurance pools. So, you know, a big problem right now is it's mostly older and sicker people. Um, you know, they feel like, um, you know, they're they're not tied to the old system. They, they'd be pretty open to some other Republican replacement plans. They just want to know what are the rules that we have to operate under. Is there any guidance for what the actual public exchanges will look like? Indeed, will they even remain the way they are in, uh, let's say, online form, which is where most people interact with them? You know, it's a great question. Um, I think that the, you know, Republican plans will likely have some role for an online marketplace, whether they call it an exchange or something else, it's you know a popular way to buy you know plane tickets and hotel rooms. So so why not health insurance? From what you hear, are Republican and Democratic congressmen coming together and discussing this, or is this really uh, being left to the individual parties to negotiate among themselves? I think at this point the, the Democrats are pretty happy to leave uh, this to Republicans. I mean, Republicans again control both houses. Uh, of Congress, they control the presidency. So, you know, at this point, it's something that they're having to hash out. And um, I think they've so far not gotten Democrats on board. Who's the ringleader with respect to the Republican negotiations? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you, you've seen it um, right now coming out of mostly out of the House. Um, you know, so it has to come out of the House first and then um, move on over to the Senate. I think that's where uh, the rubber may meet the road. You know, some of the things that could pass the House may not pass um, in the Senate where the vote margin is much narrower. Do we have any numbers? Do we have any, like, how much any of this would actually cost? You know, one thing that's going to be a real challenge is is that cost issue. So um, Republicans will want their plan to cost, um, to, to have on the cost side a cost somewhat lower than the ACA. They also want to repeal a lot of the taxes, potentially all of the taxes in Obamacare. Uh, that math is very, very difficult. And um, we, we don't know how they're going to how they're going to. But do I mean, is there, is there like a big number out there that we can I mean, may not be accurate for what turns out to be the result. But I mean, right now, is there any idea how much any of this costs or is it 
sort of like healthcare. You don't know until you actually have to go and pay it. Yeah, I think it's so much of it's going to be in the details. You know, one of the big questions, how big are the subsidies going to be? All right. I want to thank you very much. Uh, Zach Tracer is our healthcare reporter for Bloomberg News. Uh, I'm sure you're going to be following this for quite a while. And we thank you very much for your, uh, your insight. Shares of JCPenney down about 8% right now after the retailer says it's going to shut as many as 140 stores. Here to tell us more, Punam Goyal, retail analyst for Bloomberg Intelligence. Punam, let's begin with JCPenney and tell us what are they doing in order to fix what looks like a very challenging experience. Sure. I think, you know, there's very little that they can do to really fix the issue. Traffic is a secular issue for retail and all brick and mortars. So to reverse traffic and get it to actually increase in stores is probably not something anyone can turn around as quickly as they'd hope. But what they can do is fix their apparel business. The apparel business is more than 50% of their sales, and it's struggling, especially women's apparel, which is 25% of total business. Well, can you, uh, Poonam, can you uh, zoom out a little bit because we've gotten a lot of retail earnings this week. We've gotten L Brands, we've gotten Kohl's, we've gotten Macy's. Uh, in addition to JCPenney, is there anything that you can see that's sort of a unifying feature of all of the earnings that can point to the state of the retail industry? Sure. So all of them across the board, traffic is weak. But all of Meaning them are the very... number of people in the stores, yeah, same stores. People, yeah, basically people aren't going to stores anymore. They're going less and less and they're shopping more online. The other thing is that's something they can't control. But what they can control across the board is their inventory. And all of them are lean on inventory, which means that they have less product in store, so they don't have to mark the product down if sales don't meet plan, and that helps their gross margins. Poonam, you mentioned women's apparel. What's wrong with the women's apparel offering at JCPenney? You know, I, I think it's just the brands that they have. There aren't that many national brands in women's apparel, so it really hinges on the private and exclusive brands that each retailer carries. The problem's not just at JCPenney. Macy's has the problem, too, and so does Kohl's. I think women are just, you know, shopping where they find the right fit, where they find the right product, and they're not as loyal to where they shop. So if they see things online, they're willing to go there and try it out. Well, Poonam, I'm wondering then, does it need to have a real rethink of what that real estate, that big box is all about? Because if you can't necessarily sell the clothes and the appliances in order to boost your returns— then why not use that real estate to invite different types of merchants to come in and actually create some foot traffic? That's what we would like them all to do. Uh, they're just very slow to move towards that. You heard Coles talk about it a little bit when they talked about... What are they drink- waiting for? Are they waiting for a final collapse of the big box retail uh, you know, location? Because it seems as though this has been going on. You know about it. We know about it. The country certainly knows about it. What's keeping them from innovating? Lower rents. So the big box retailers, the department stores, don't pay that much rent because they were considered the traffic drivers when, you know, the malls first opened. And um, therefore, since the rents are low, they're slow to innovate. Um, And that's they have long-term leases, so they have to work with the REITs to come up with plans 
to add other categories or even other retailers or even maybe give up a floor of the space. Many of them own two floors. Do they really need two floors? I don't think so. Exactly. Why isn't there a Starbucks, let's say, in every JCPenney? Well, there's a Sephora. Right. That's true. So which company of these uh, brick-and-mortar retailers is doing the best job? I think Nordstrom is doing the best job. Um, You saw it in their results yesterday after the market closed. They really, you know, kept their inventory tight, drove gross margin expansion. And while full line is still pressured, um, you know, Rack is also a little pressured. Their online sales, which are 25%, which I think is the highest of the department store group, is growing double digits. Well, the stock's up. Stock's up 4% uh, right now. Uh, J.W. Nordstrom uh, up $1.88, Yeah, and they said that the uh, that President Trump's tweet against them had a, quote, negligible impact on sales. So who's doing the worst job, in your opinion? I think L Brands right now, quite frankly. I mean, they're a really good brand, but when they cited their quarter was, I'd say, okay to down, but the February remarks that they made with Victoria's Secret sales down almost 20%. That's a huge miss. Uh, I think they really need to think about what's happening in the lingerie space. They dominated that space with elevated pricing, brand perception, and there's just been more competition there. So I, I think they need to think about what to do next and how they're going to preserve share where their price points are much, much higher than competition. Uh, and just a real quick, with JCPenney's uh, approach to shut up to 140 stores, do you think that this will be sufficient for them? I think there will be more. I think this is the first step. Um, they have over 1,000 stores. This will bring them to a little over 850. And it's said in many reports that, you know, there's about 400 to 500 malls in America that you want to be in. So that's still a lot more stores than what most retailers would want to be in. Yeah, it says that the closings represent as much as 14% of the company's store base, uh, but just less than 5% of total sales. It seems like they're targeting the stores that have the lowest foot traffic. Poonam Goyal, thank you so much for joining us. As always, very informative on this peak week for retail earnings. Poonam Goyal, senior U.S. retail analyst for Bloomberg Intelligence, speaking to us from our headquarters in Princeton, New Jersey. P&L is brought to you by Proper Cloth, a leader in men's custom shirts. At propercloth.com, ordering custom shirts has never been easier. Create your custom shirt size by answering 10 easy questions. Select from over 500 fabrics to suit your personal taste. Shirts start from $85 and are delivered in just two weeks. With Proper Cloth's perfect fit guarantee, remakes are completely free and expert staff are standing by to help. For premium quality, perfect fitting shirts, visit propercloth.com. Custom shirts made smarter. This is Bloomberg Markets. I'm Pim Fox, along with Lisa Abramowitz. I want to bring in Tulu Olorunipa. He is our White House reporter. He's at the White House for Bloomberg News. Uh, to get his uh, analysis of President Donald Trump's speech today at the uh, Conservative Political Action Conference uh, that was at the Gaylord National Resort and Convention Center. Tulu, uh, is anything specific that, that stood out for you? I was going to uh, ask you about the Europe, his comments about Europe and, and Sweden and uh, France, but uh, maybe something else stood out to you. 
Well, it was a very long speech. He talked for about 50 minutes, and he talked about just about every different topic that uh, his, his administration has, has covered in its short time. It was sort of a mismatch of his uh, his campaign speeches over the last year and a half, his inauguration speech. He had some lines from there, and obviously the ongoing, what he calls a war with the media, uh, which he has called the enemy of the American people. He spent a lot of time talking about that. But right. He, we are all fighting fake news, and he tried to distinguish fake news from all news. Uh, he also uh, went back to build the wall and uh, the, talking about military strength. Tulu, I really want to ask, has you have you ever seen a president before who, right after getting in office, makes no effort to reach across the aisle and try to unify uh, the different parties and, and just sort of sticks to the same kind of tone uh, that they took during the campaigning? I, I have not, and it's definitely a sign that this president wants to continue to rely on the base that brought him into office. He believes that if he was able to get into office using this strategy, that, you know, if it's not broken, why why change it? So it does seem like he's, you know, appealing specifically to his base and uh, making a lot of enemies uh, along the way, including our European partners who he singled out in the speech in Germany and Sweden and France. Well, Tulu, uh, to that point, the strategist who you speak with, do they think this is going to be effective? Uh, well, I think it's uh, effective in one way in terms of keeping his base, you know, rallying behind him. But obviously, we remember that the president did not win the popular vote and, and continues to f- suffer from very low approval ratings. So uh, in terms of being able to coalesce the Republican Party around him and actually bring a- on Democrats that he's going to need to get through legislation, it does not appear that it's going to be effective because we're not seeing very many people go across the aisle to say, I, you know, Democrats saying that I, I will support President Trump. We're seeing larger resistance and even some uh, Republicans that are, uh, you know, going up against their own Republican members of Congress saying that uh, they're not happy with the way things are going. He also mentioned uh, the issue of NAFTA and trade agreements uh, that the United States has previously signed. Uh, We know about the TPP, the Trans-Pacific Partnership. Uh, It was almost a done deal that that was not going to uh, make it to the the Senate floor. Uh, Can you speak to us about uh, the international relationships that the United States has, because it uh, seems as though that has been one of the uh, the sore points, at least so far, uh, of the uh, U.S. administration's relations with uh, overseas partners. Uh, that's definitely true. The president has said that he's pursuing an America first policy, and that often leaves some of our international partners and allies wondering whether the U.S. is going to abandon these longstanding partnerships. When it comes to trade, the president did pull out of the TPP deal. He's also uh, basically said that he does not want want to engage in multilateral deals. Um, he wants to engage one-on-one with different countries, and he wants to uh, you know, take another look at NAFTA, one of the longstanding trade deals between uh, the U.S. and Canada and Mexico. And a lot of these countries that are our allies are wondering whether the U.S. is going to take a more nationalist and isolation, isolationist uh, stance. And if they do, um, these countries are wondering what that means for them. Was the audience at the CPAC uh, event this time the same as it has been in previous years? Uh, It was largely the same audience. You had a number of libertarians, you have a number of conservatives, a lot of young people. Uh, This year, we did not see as many members of Congress who uh, attended or spoke at at this event. Uh, This seems to coincide with the recess uh, 
portion of uh, the congressional schedule, and a lot of uh, Congress members are back home, and they're facing crowds of their own with these town halls where uh, members are facing uh, protests. Uh, but for the most part, it was uh, very similar to what we've seen in the past, but maybe a little bit more uh, cheers and happiness at the idea that uh, there's a Republican Congress, Republican House, and Senate along with a Republican White House. So in other words, this was the same audience that rejected President Trump uh, last year. Uh, well, or the year before, I suppose I should say. Yeah, the president has a, a long history of, C, of uh, over the last five years of going to CPAC, and when he was first there, he was not received with such a, uh, a, a you know, a receptive audience. In part because no one thought he was actually going to run for president. But now that he's run and he's actually won the presidency, uh, a lot of people are embracing him, and they're uh, they're sort of trying to merge their version of conservatism with Trump's and uh, and be a big tent party. So we'll see how that works. Uh, Tulu, uh, another area, Dakota Access Pipeline and uh, Keystone. He spoke about that. Uh, speak a little bit about the energy policy and what uh, the, what the plans are. Yeah, the president said that you know he uh, he basically said that he's authorized construction of the Keystone and Dakota pipelines. These are pipelines that were stopped under the Obama administration. Uh, the president said that also that he, he wants uh, all the pipelines that are built in the U.S. to be made with U.S. steel. We're not sure exactly how he's going to go about uh, enforcing that. But he basically said that, you know, he, he's unshackling the, the, the U.S. energy market and allowing, uh, you know, these pipelines to be built and allowing uh, the U.S. to access the energy that's that, you know, he believes is under the ground. Uh, so it's definitely a, a market shift from what we saw under President Obama, who took a much more environmentalist uh, stance. On, on energy and, you know, halted a number of these pipeline projects. Uh, President Trump says that these are good for jobs and uh, he does not think that the environmental regulations are as important as the jobs that could be created through these different pipeline projects. Tulu Olorunipa, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Bloomberg White House correspondent at the White House. Busy, busy man. Thank you so much for uh, taking the time. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg PL podcast. You can subscribe and listen to interviews at iTunes, SoundCloud, or whatever podcast platform you prefer. I'm Pim Fox. I'm out there on Twitter at Pim Fox. I'm out there on Twitter at Lisa Abramowitz1. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide on Bloomberg Radio. P&L is brought to you by Proper Cloth, a leader in men's custom shirts. With proprietary smart size technology and top-rated customer service, ordering a custom shirt has never been easier. Visit propercloth.com to order your first custom shirt today.